Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So what did the gingerbread man put on his bed? A cookie sheet. Yeah, yeah. This this one was my choice, all right? What did the wise men say after they offered up their gifts of gold and frankincense? Wait, there's myrrh. Oh, come on, that's funny. That one's good. All right, so um, Mary Toffs. She lived in Surrey County, England, which is the poorest, one of the poorest parts of England. And in 1726, she had four children. In 1726, uh, she became uh, pregnant and miscarried the baby. And somehow got the idea to claim she was giving birth to rabbits. Um, the local doctor saw something happen. He reported it. It was in the paper. The, uh, the, the King Charles I of England was captured by the story. There was something in the weirdness of the culture at that time that made people read the National Enquirer. <laughs> made people attracted to that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, uh, uh, King Charles actually sent a couple of his doctors and the doctors showed up and, and they saw this phenomenon of her giving birth to rabbits and they wrote about it and it was a big, big press takeover until somebody started asking hard questions and she finally uh, made, yeah, she finally confessed that it was all a hoax. All a hoax. But man, that's a weird story, isn't it? Do you ever hear weird stories like that and think to yourself, really? Woman gives birth to alien. Do you ever wonder, like, is this really weird? Is this not true? There's no way this story's true. Anybody ever get that other than me? If a story's too good to true, I normally say, it is, right? Now, me and my wife were fact-checkers, and, and we're those kind of people, and... and I was reading about this story and I thought about the story of Jesus' birth being a virgin birth and I thought to myself, that story sounds too good to true, too good to be true. So what I thought I would do today is I would talk to you about uh, basically the reality of the virgin birth and the reason for the virgin birth and that's really where I want to go today is the reality of the virgin birth and the, real, uh, the reason for it. Um, to do that, we're going to back up to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read what Luke wrote at the beginning of his gospel, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? Let's uh, look at the scripture here. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Can I stop and say a word here? Um, 
one of the things we do know about Luke, and this is sort of awkward because for years people um, said, you know, all the skeptics said that what Luke reported as history didn't happen and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things you know about Luke is if Luke wrote it in Luke or Acts, it happened. Because over and over again, as we've learned more, history has proven that Luke is an accurate historian. So not just on one thing, but over and over again, Luke's history is, he was accurate at what he said, okay? So when he carefully investigated everything, I believe he did, because when he mentions a certain person was a king at a certain time, or a certain thing happened, guess what? It happened, okay? Um, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. One other thing I want to say about that, Theophilus. Theo means God. Phyllis or Philo is loved. So the word Theophilus means the one loved by God. And I believe that Theophilus doesn't represent a single human being, but it represents all of the followers of God. It represents all of those who are loved by God and who love God. Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. You may know the certainty. So I want to talk to you today about the reality of the virgin birth. And then I want to talk about the reason. And we're going to talk about the virgin birth. A couple different layers, all right? Father, I pray that today you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that our hearts would be open. You would speak to us. And that um, if your word does not contain the power to change lives today, well, then I definitely have no power. So I'm asking that your word would speak with power to someone this morning and that their hearts would be open to you and that, God, you would give us the reality of this story, but also we would leave here knowing the reason for it and our lives would be changed because of it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. All right, before you're seated, turn, give somebody a big smile and say, doggone, you look good this morning. So, hey, if you're online, I'm sure you look good. I'm glad you're a part of us. So let's start with the message to the virgin. Now, <clears throat> I debated here, all right? Can I be honest with you in my debates? Would y'all be all right if I told you a little bit about my struggle? My struggle is I want to inspire this morning. But God has been dealing with me about anagnosko. It's a Greek word that means to read aloud the scriptures. And that it is my job this Christmas not to, oh, inspire like I want to or blah like I want to. I have a job this Christmas to actually read the story to you and let you hear the whole story for yourself because I am convinced that most of the people that I talk to on a regular basis have very rarely actually read the whole Bible story of Jesus' birth for themselves. So if what I'm encouraging you, I have a job, and my job is not to be overly inspirational this morning, but to be more informational, to share this story with you. What I would like you to do is I'd like you to go home this Christmas before you're done with Christmas, before Christmas happens, could you read Luke 1 and 2? I mean, that's a huge assignment. It'll take you 10 minutes. But could you do that simple thing? Could you personally read the story for yourself? All right? So the message of the virgin. Let's get the setting here. And Nazareth is where this happened. And Nazareth is, a, it's, all right, so Nazareth is too small to be a city, but it's too little to be a village. All right, too big to be a village, too small to be a city. Nazareth, um, so did you know there was no Greek word to say like town? 
They only had villages and cities. That was the only two words. And they didn't have a word for small towns, small towns. Um, so they, they use the word city here, but it's not really a city. What Nazareth was, all right, Herod was building, had a big building pro project going on near Nazareth. And Nazareth is where the people lived who were doing the building projects uh, for Herod's city that he was building. Ah, so wouldn't it make sense that a, a carpenter uh, named Joseph was living in Nazareth, probably working on Herod's big building project. So here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, and there's our key word for today, you'll see that word a lot, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, the virgin's name was Mary. Now, it says in this passage that they were engaged. And um, what we need to know is, well, let me give you a little background. Um, in those days, did you know the average life expectancy was only 40 years of age? 40 years of age, average life expectancy. I'm on borrowed time if I would have lived then. As a matter of fact, well, you know, a lot of ladies, young ladies gave, uh, they died during birth because it was a very dangerous thing to do, uh, was to give birth. Um, imagine if you had a breech child or something happened. It was not healthy. But also, I just think about life expectancy, all right? A couple years ago, when I was about 36, because the average life expectancy now is 70, I think it's 75 for an adult male. But back in the day, it was 72. And, and um, I turned 36 and I told my wife, hey, I'm half dead. <laughs> it was about that time that I had something happen. I woke up one morning and I had this pain like right here, right here. And it hurt. And then it got worse. It went from dull throbbing to being a controlling pain. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What, what was going on? Come on, diagnose. What was going on? Appendix. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what I did? I went to the doctor and the doctor goes, oh, we got to do surgery today. So they gave me morphine. I was like, thank God for morphine. Right? Y'all know. <clears throat> Not everyday use, but come on, when your appendix is like that. So um, they, uh, they took me in and they did surgery and they pulled my appendix out and no issue. But what would have happened if I didn't have a doctor that could go in and like cut my appendix out? What would have happened? It would have swollen, swollen, swollen. Then it would have exploded. And all of that, that bile and all of that infection would have gotten in my abdomen. And three or four days later, I would have died a poor, horrible, painful death, right? Are y'all following me? So all of you that have had your appendix out, if you would have lived, what, 2,000 years ago, you'd already be dead. Oh, wow. So life expectancy was short. So you know what you didn't do? You didn't wait to graduate from high school and then graduate from college and then work four years and get your own life established before you got married. What did you do? 13 years old, puberty's done, I can have kids, time to get married. So they took a 13-year-old to 15-year-old girl, 13 to 15-year-old girl, since her life was a third of the way over, just thinking about that, and they would do something called an engagement, but an engagement then is different than engagement now. We're not talking about bachelor engagement, you know, like, oh, we're going to have a engage. We're getting engaged. You know what that means, engage? And we're getting engaged in bachelor world. It means we just decided to date each other for four more years before we think about getting married. 
Oh, don't get all holy with me. I know more of you watch Bachelor than you. Come on. Uh, we got engaged. What does that mean? We decided to date semi-exclusively then. All right. <laughs> Do you know what engagement meant back then? When you engaged, they had this thing called a dowry. You know what a dowry was? That's where you had, you know, like your sheeps or your goats or your gold or whatever, your silver. And daddy of the daughter, because daughters were valuable, daddy of the daughter would say, you want my girl? Earn it, bud. By the way, there's something to be said about that today because I don't give trust to those boys. They have to earn it. Some of you dads need to listen to me. You trust those knot-headed boys, and you were one of them, Dad. <laughs> anyway. Dowry, what they would do is they, they would buy the opportunity to be married to your daughter. So they would, they would then, once that dowry was paid, they were going to get married. Yeah. And, and all they were doing was they were setting the arrangements up because it was already a sealed deal. But they waited until the marriage to consummate the event. Are you all, are you all following me here? So we got a little 13-year-old girl who was engaged, but engaged meant a little bit more. The guy, later on, we're going to find out, Joseph could divorce her and publicly embarrass her and go through a certificate of divorce for an engagement. So this isn't simple, we're dating and, you know, maybe we'll do something one day. That's, that's key to understand this story because you got a 13-year-old girl. Well, one thing I want to say about here as well is... Most of the marriages in that day were arranged. And most of them work better than today's marriages. Because true love is built, not just felt. True love is built, not just felt. And some of us, the reason we struggle is because we think we got to feel it rather than build it. Love is a commitment. I've been married 34 years to the same woman. And you don't do that unless you're committed to the process. Committed to the person regardless. True love is built, not just felt. And you know why? The feelings of love, scientists have proven, only last between six and at the outside 18 months. Usually it's from six to nine months. And those feelings are gone. What do you have then? I'll tell you what you've got. Either you can respect them, trust them, love them, and build a relationship with them, or you can't. So what did the angel's message say? He came to Mary and he said, the angel went to her, said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Wouldn't you be, if you're 13, an angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. You're not married. That would be troubling because I don't... All right, let me, let me jump ahead in my notes. There were three things that were going to happen. Dishonor was presumed. It was going to happen. She was going to be dishonored. If you are a pregnant single person in those days, if you were a pregnant single lady, you, it had to be a lady because guys can't get pregnant. I don't care what TikTok says. Anyway, um, if you're a pregnant single girl, you were immediately dishonored by your entire culture. It's not as big a deal now as it was back then, but let me tell you, this was reason. So dishonor was presumed. You were going to be the talking sport of the town. The second thing of, divorce was probable. It was probable that she was going to be divorced and she would never be able to get married to a guy that would honor her and treat her the right way. And the third thing was, his death was 
possible. Deuteronomy 22 declared a death penalty for a virgin who had sex outside of marriage. And there was proof here. And it, let's just say that death was probable, uh, possible. So anyway, here she is. So uh, the angel said to her, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. By the way, the greetings, you are highly favored. Read it in the King James and it's more like Hail Mary, uh, you receive grace. And and there's a a version of our theology of people out there that said it's Hail Mary, giver of grace. But but I just want you to know that the grace that's here is in the middle sense, not in the active sense. So Mary was the receiver of God's grace. She's not the giver of God's grace. You need to know that. I don't care what any theology you've been taught in your entire life is. Mary is the receiver of grace, not the giver of grace. I needed to say that because somebody needed to hear it. So, and she hears this, the Lord is with you. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the arrogance? you ever thought about your arrogance? Can we talk for a second about how arrogant you are? You think that you are the center of the universe. There are 8 billion people on this world. 8 billion, just like you walking around. 8 billion of you. And here you are on this one planet. And this one little planet is one little dot of rock surrounding one star in a galaxy made up of literally hundreds of millions of stars. And that galaxy is just one of billions that we know of spread throughout this endless universe that we can't even fathom where the ends of it is. And we get to the ends of it. And what's at the end of that? God is, but we'll come back to that. But you think you're important. You think you're important. You think the world revolves around you. Can we just talk for a second? You're incredibly arrogant. You are. What makes you so important? That the God who made all of that wants to listen to you. He's got to do what you tell him. Where did you get this idea? Where on earth did we come up with this idea that we're so important? But can I tell you something? You are. You are important. So much so that the God who made all of that loves you. You know where you came up with this idea? Because God, listen, we'll come back to this. But God spoke and the stars popped into place. God's word came out of his mouth. He spoke. And the sun and the moon and the stars. He spoke and the oceans were made. He spoke and all that happened. But when it came time to make humans, do you know what he did? He fashioned you with his own hand. You are God's handiwork. And if you are in this space, God thinks you're important so much that he loves you and he wants to be with you. So here's this girl. She's an insignificant little 13 or 14-year-old girl on the middle of nowhere in a little town doing nothing incredible. And an angel shows up to somebody in the middle of nowhere living a normal life, not even awesome, and says, the Lord is with you. 
Listen, I would like you to embrace the fact that God loves you so much that no matter where you are or what you're doing or what you're going through, he is with you and he wants you to be with him. So I was reading a book recently and this lady named Angela Wan, she grew up um, sort of Buddhist, but sort of agnostic atheist. And she hated God and she hated Christians. And her attitude was just horrible towards all things spiritual. Well, she was at the end of her life. And it was, she was about 45 years old and her whole world got upset. And she got on a train with no return ticket and took nothing with her. And she was going to do one final goodbye and kill herself. And that was it. She was done. And as she's on this train, uh, she had picked up a piece of literature that was a piece of Christian literature. And the Christian literature said that God loves you and he has purchased you because he loves you. And as she was riding along in the train and she read those words, she heard the Holy Spirit speak to her a sentence that said, you belong to me. And from that moment, her entire world was changed when she recognized that the Lord wanted to be with her. And can I say to you today that God wants to be with you, but at some point, you have to respond to him. Luke chapter 1 verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then Mary asked the big question. See, Mary knew how people got pregnant. She said, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, those of you that aren't acquainted with this, I will, I will go ahead and let you know there was a huge debate in the last century about the use of the word virgin. And all the people that want to make the Bible some fairy tale book were, were saying stuff like, virgin doesn't mean virgin. Mary actually had sex with a man and therefore, but she was saying virgin. She was using the Old Testament word, Alma. You know, the virgin will be with, with a child. That's uh, uh, um, Isaiah chapter 7. I believe it's verse 14. And it's Alma. Alma is virgin, but it means really young girl. There was an understanding that young girls would be virgin, but you know, it doesn't necessarily mean she was a virgin. And there was a debate about the virginity of Mary. And what I found funny, and I, I, this is what happens. Come on, listen a second. This is what I find with people that want to fight against God, is they only half pay attention. They, they only half pay attention because they were trying to make their excuses about what they wanted to believe based from one scripture they could twist while ignoring this one. Do you know what this one says? Can I give you the crow's nearly inspired version? 
You know what the crow, you know what the crow's nearly inspired version is, right? I read Greek, so I translated this literally and wooden for you. And I'm going to translate this verse for you. She said, Mary, that's the reason, the reason it's backwards is because that's how it's said in the Greek. She said, Mary to the angel, how will this be? Since a man, I do not know. You know what that means, right? She's saying, I know how babies are made and I ain't done that. I know how babies are made, but I haven't done that. By the way, this is very, 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 very clear. We don't have to debate about Alma and what the meaning of the Hebrew word virgin means because Mary said herself, I don't do that. I haven't done that. A man I do not know, I have not known before, I have not known after. That's the tense of the verb. I don't do this. She was saying, I may what? You can say it. It's all right. Don't say virgin in church. No. Come on. Everybody say it with me. She was a what? Virgin. She was a virgin. Okay. So, all right. I was doing my prep for this. And I started reading websites and articles and listening to YouTubers and TikTokers. And, you know, guys, can I tell you, there are idiots out there. Just because somebody's got a microphone or a YouTube channel doesn't mean they know what the heck they're talking about. A website does not make you smart. You know, me and my wife, we got in a big fight the other night. Do you know we got in a fight? Do you know why we got in a fight? Because somebody that I trusted was saying something and they gave a statistic and my wife said, we need to look up that statistic. You know why? Because we have a, and I was saying to her, no, we can trust this source. And she's saying, no, I don't trust the source. Let's find out what the source's source is. Because how we operate in our world is, is if you say something too outlandish to be true, we want to find out whether or not it's true. Are y'all with me today? Does anybody, oh, you just accept everything that's told to you? You don't think about it? So you know what I did? I got to looking. I got to reading these websites. So I thought, well, I'm going to click on their stories and I'm going to link because this is what they were saying. They were saying there are all kinds of stories in ancient literature about women who were virgins who gave birth. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look this up. So I clicked on their stories and I started reading their stories. Guys, that was some of the most nonsensical bull... Anyway. It was nonsensical. I'll give you a little bit of one of the stories. Now, I have read, because this is supposedly an ancient resurrection story as well, and I've read it before. By the way, I've read this story about 10 times. It's a story of Isis supposedly being dead and being resurrected from the dead, and somehow there's a virgin birth in here or whatever. The story goes like this, is that a god got mad at somebody and cut them up into pieces, and he threw their phallus into the uh, Nile River, and they couldn't find any of the other pieces but some girl found the phallus and got impregnated through the phallus out of the river and that this is a virgin birth giving and a resurrection story. And I'm thinking, this is the dumbest crap I've ever read in my life. And you're putting that story equal to a 13-year-old girl being carefully investigated and all the history's fact and their names and places and times and there are stories and quotations and people that attest to the story and you're making that garbage equal with this, you are doing that because you want to believe a lie. Why don't you just go ahead and admit it? You hate God so much that you want to believe a lie. Quit arguing against God and just admit it. You're the jerk. 
Sorry. I'm tired of people being jerks and blaming it on God. If you're a jerk, be a jerk. I'm a jerk. Welcome to the jerk clan. All right? Welcome. But can we just lose this garbage that that is equal to a carefully researched document like the book of Luke? Can we just lose that? One person agrees with me. You better be careful. I'll start preaching if you don't, if you don't say amen at some point. I'll start preaching. So I would expect you to say what now? Amen. All right, all right. All right. Yeah, Luke, all right, so this gospel, this story of the virgin birth, it's found not in Mark, and the reason it's not found in Mark is it wasn't important for Greeks. And he's writing to Romans going to Rome who wanted the bottom line. John is writing to Greeks who want philosophy, so he starts, how does Luke start his, or John start his? John starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Uh, and then he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see all that? Uh, he, he's messing with people who are philosophical. That's the reason John writes so different. Uh, I like it, but it, it's not history the same way Luke is history. The same way Luke is history. Luke is uh, history intended to be history. John is historical retelling for the point of making the point. All right? So, all right? He's telling it through the lens of philosophy. Luke is telling us just straight history. All right? Matthew, though, Matthew is also concerned with Jews believing in the coming Messiah. So I want to read without comment. I, I, I don't want to comment much. I, I just want to read Matthew 1. I want to read Matthew's story, all right? This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet and the prophet is Isaiah. It says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So Mary and Joseph didn't have sex until after Jesus was born. He was concerned to tell us that. Why? Because the virgin will give birth and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's some theology behind this. We'll get to that in just a second. But one thing I want to tell you is this, this language is not the, the same writing as myth. This is told as a story that actually happened. Luke chapter 1 verse 35, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now the use of the word shadow here is intentional because this is written to people that would have understood the Old Testament. And what happened, a shadow is caused by a cloud, right? A cloud and there's a shadow. And that goes back to the Old Testament story. You remember when the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness? What happened every morning? They woke up, there was a 
cloud, all right? There was a cloud. And this cloud represented the presence of God. And when the temple was dedicated, and they dedicated the temple, what filled the presence of the temple? A cloud, so much so that people couldn't even enter. The cloud was always a representative of the glory of God. And so what is happening here is the use of a shadow brings to mind the familiar Old Testament imagery of a cloud symbolizing the immediate presence of God. And this is a word for word out of a commentary. I thought it was really good. The delicate expression rules out crude, uh, crude ideas of mating of the Holy Spirit with Mary. Gabriel Gabriel makes it clear that the conception will be a result of divine activity, not of sexual activity. As a matter of fact, she was virgin until after Jesus was born. All right. And I just want to say a word this, the, about the obedience of the virgin. I think this is very important. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, for she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of the Lord will ever fail. Now, I want to I move ahead, and I want to go to the reason for the virgin birth, and I want to wrap up here, all right? <clears throat> Y'all ready? The reason for the virgin birth is quite clear. Jesus is the heir to two kingdoms and two thrones. He has two kingdoms. He has two thrones. He's the heir over the throne of David, and he's the heir to the kingdom of God. So, all right, to understand why, why did Jesus have to be God and man, you need to understand a very simple thing called covenant. So a covenant was this, and we got a verse here. The, the verse is from Jeremiah, and it says, I will treat them like the calf, they cut in two and then walk between the pieces. So um, Old Testament is based on this thing called covenant. As a matter of fact, all relationship with God is based on this thing called covenant. And what a covenant is, is you have two parties and they would get together and they would take an animal or two animals and they would literally kill the animal and cut the animal in two. Then they would drag half of it over here and they would drag the other half over here. And then the two parties would stand here and they would make their vows to each other. Something like this. I, I vow to love you in sickness and in health for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others, keeping myself only unto you as long as we both shall live. That's called a vow. That's, if you didn't get that, that's the wedding ceremony. That's the vow. And then what you do is you walk through the pieces. And when you walk through the pieces, the covenant is enacted because what you're saying is if I break my promise to you, may I be dead and my blood spilled like this animal. Are, are everybody getting this, all right? I know I've told you before, I'll tell you this 10,000 times because you need to catch it. All of the Bible is wrapped up in an understanding of what these covenants are. So these covenants are made throughout the Bible. I make my vow to you. If you break the vow, well then may I be dead like the animal. So all the way back, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they dishonored God and they broke the vow of honor to God. God said, this is my tree, don't eat my tree. And what did they do? They broke the vow. They ate his tree. When they ate his tree, they entered into a covenant or they broke the covenant of honor. Therefore, they, we're all condemned to die because Adam ate the silly fruit. 
You got this? We're all condemned to die. For all times, every person that's born through a man, because the seed of Adam is passed through the male seed, and the sin of Adam is transferred through the male, and every single person on this earth that has a daddy that has, well, I don't have a father. You had somebody donate their sperm somewhere. Every single human being, now you're condemned to die because we dishonored God. Then there was another covenant made and another one, another one. And then we get to the covenant of the law. And the covenant of the law is for all people all time. And this covenant of law says, we will obey everything you say, God. And then he gave us all these laws, 613 laws. And I know you don't keep them because some of you are wearing things like this. You've got cotton and leather together. You got, you got cotton and polyester. You probably got spandex in your clothes now. That's a mixing of garments. You broke the law. And if you ate shrimp, man, you're done. You're going to hell right now. Boom, out. And I'm thinking shrimp hell. Anyway, sorry. Uh, crab legs, well, now, come on. Uh, are y'all, y'all following me here? So there was this covenant that condemned us all to death because we made the vows and then went through the animal and said, if I break it, may I be dead like this. So God, God doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to be separated from him. God doesn't want you to be outside of his blessing and living under the curses of the law. So you know what God said? The only way I can break this covenant is if a pure man without sin and me, God myself, if we die, we will then nullify this covenant and the vows we made and I can make a new one. Now what God did is God saw there were good things in the vows he made and he wanted us to live a covenant of honor with him. He wants us to live in relationship, doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. But he realizes that we're all failures and we're not going to do the right thing. So what he said is, I got to put an end to those and I got to restructure my covenant. You know what restructure my covenant looks like? Me and my wife, we, uh, we, we made a, a will after our first two children were born. We made a will. And the will was to give all of our earthly $15 to our kids, right? After we pay all the bills, you might get 30 now. After last year, probably 15 again. All right, so my kids, they get everything that I have. The problem is I had a third kid. But you know who was not named in my will? The third kid. So do you know what I did? I went back and I basically did the exact same thing I had done before, but I restructured the covenant so that the covenant now, are are y'all getting here, would include the third one. So what God wanted to do was God wanted to make a covenant with us that he would, you ready for this? He would be able to bless us and take away our shame and give us life. But the only way he could do that was he had to die to pay for this covenant being broken. And humanity had to die to pay for this covenant being broken. So what what Paul wrote 
You can read it in 1 Corinthians. He said this, 1 Corinthians 14, 45. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being when God made him. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He is not the second Adam. He is the last Adam because he is perfect. He is God made man in human flesh. Why a virgin birth? Because the life that was put in Mary is not limited to a husband's sin. There is no passing along of the sin of Adam. It is now life given by God and God alone in human flesh, but it is also God himself in flesh. And when he died upon the cross, he reached out and grabbed hold of both sides and said, I'm making a new covenant of life with you. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Because if he were born like anybody else, he couldn't be the last Adam. He couldn't be God in flesh. He couldn't be Emmanuel. He couldn't be the last Adam. But thanks be to God, when Jesus died upon that cross, he was born of a virgin. He was God. He was man. And his death meant that we now live in the freedom God has for us. So our, uh, our band's going to come forward. And I, I, I just want to say one more thing about this. Is this new covenant? This new covenant requires one thing of you. That you believe. That you simply believe. You quit making your excuses. And you believe. Yeah, I got a little agitated a while ago. And you know what? The reason I get agitated is, listen... Be honest with me and be honest with yourself. If you're an atheist and you're mad at God, if you're an atheist and you're mad at God, you're not an atheist. Because then you're saying you're mad at something you don't think exists. And that means you're not honest with yourself. At least be an agnostic. At least wrestle with God and look for the facts and look for the truth. I'm tired of people spouting out words and making excuses just just face the facts. You want to do what you want to do and you don't like anybody telling you what to do and that makes you an arrogant punk. You know, how I, I'm not judging. I'm simply saying I'm an arrogant punk too because I want to do what I want to do but you know what I have to do? I have to bow my knee in faith to the one who made this covenant and say I will do what you say not what I want. So, can we just be honest with ourselves? We live in a culture, we're not honest about anything. We lie about everything. We just lie about everything. Can we just be honest? This story of the virgin birth, that's not like other stories from antiquity. It's not. This is a real story. It's told as a real story. It's backed up. It's backed up and supported by the resurrection from the dead for which guys gave their life because they believed these stories to be true. Not because it happened thousands of years ago. They saw it with their own eyes. This is not makeup garbage. This is reality. Could we just be honest? Could we be honest about it? And could we research it? And if you have a trouble with God, why don't you just recognize that you have, you have trouble with God? And why don't you have a talk with him and ask him to reveal himself to you rather than making these stupid excuses that make you sound like an idiot? Is that too harsh? I hope, I hope it is. I hope it's harsh just enough to offend you so you'll actually think. Don't take my word for it. You do it 
because I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the freedom that can be had. I want you to know what it feels like not to live in shame anymore. I want you to know what it feels like not to wake up in the morning feeling guilt over what you're planning on thinking about doing today. I want you to know what it's like to live in the freedom of knowing that God is with you and he has a plan for you and he wants you to live his fullness. I want more for you than you even want for yourself because all you want is a moment of pleasure today. And I want you to live in the fullness of God. And I'm not going to make an apology about it because I care about you enough to challenge you to actually think. All right. And if I can talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. So it isn't me doing the... If you're feeling something in your heart right now, it's not me. It's God saying, I'm with you and I love you and you belong to me and I want you. That's God. So I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a second. And I, I have to go here. If you're in this space today or you're watching online and God is drawing you, that's God doing it, not me. Will you say, I want to step in? I, I really don't believe, but I want to believe. So I feel you draw me. I want to respond by saying, Lord, help me believe. Help me believe. That's, that's a good enough prayer right now. Lord, I, I feel you're tugging. Help me believe. And if that's you and you say, I want to believe. I, I, I feel that I, I'm reacting. Okay, God, I'm reaching back out to you. That reach out, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you lift your hand as an act of faith? Would you just lift your hand and say, I'm reaching out right now. Yes, yes, around this room. I'm reaching out. Yes, all around this room. Yes. speak and show your love right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Could we all pray this prayer together out loud? Everybody together. Come on. Everybody participate. Don't be the, the one that doesn't. Everybody out loud together. Could we say this prayer together out loud just as an act of faith? Jesus, I want to believe. Help me believe. I trust you that you're talking to me. Open my heart. Show me your love. Help me to receive you. Amen. Man, I, that's not the last conversation you're going to have with God. You're going to have a lot more. But if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, We've got somebody at the back. I believe Pastor Jesse's standing back there. Stand up, Pastor Jesse. He's got a little table set up. Drop by, see him, and talk to him. He's got some information he wants to give you today about the next step you can take to develop your relationship with Jesus. I'd like you to do this. If you're in this space today and um, you're, you're one of those people, you're like, man, this is sometimes tough. This time of year is tough. I want to go back and I want to read for you the words of Mary. She said this. She said... Um, 
Yeah, Luke 1.38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. God wants you to believe. He wants you to just walk in his presence. And if you're in this room today and maybe you're struggling, I want you to know that no word of God spoken over you will ever fail. His love for you is boundless. And he wants to speak a word of hope and life over you right now. And uh, I want to just pray over you if you're struggling right now. Jesus, if there's people in this place that are struggling, I, I ask Jesus that your word would be spoken over them and your word of love and your word of forgiveness and your word of mercy and your word of provision, your word of kindness be spoken in the name of Jesus. And no word from God will ever fail. May it be as you have said. We submit to you and we honor you in this moment. Help us through it all. Be close, we pray. Amen and amen. I wanted us to end um, I wanted us to end a specific way. So I'm going to ask you to stand and the band's going to play a song. And I'd like you to sing it simply because I think it's an act of faith to sing songs like this. So let's go.